once unthinkable crime, now shockingly familiar. That's when a boy pulled a gun out of his backpack and started shooting at us. Before Columbine, it was one of America's first mass shootings inside a school. And I could see he was standing and he had a gun. And I thought, my brother's going to kill me. I have to get out of here. Shots fired in the lobby at the high school. Did he? And I'd like to tell you that we saved some lives, but that wouldn't be true. The fabric of a community torn apart. How did that day change you? Don't know if I could put it into words. You lost your innocence. 25 years later, for the first time, a school shooter could be released. Were voices telling you to do something on December the 1st, 1997? Yes, ma'am. And climate conservatives. I'm here because I am a conservative environmentalist. For a long time, conservatives have not come to the table. Benji Backer is a 24-year-old on a mission to save the planet. My freshman year of college, I searched conservative environmental organization. Nothing. But can this young Republican make climate change a priority for his party? driving to Paducah, Kentucky right now. It's the site of one of the first school shootings back in 1997. And the gunman, Michael Carneal, is actually up for parole. We wanted to talk with members of the community and people that were there that day. I get up and I lay in bed for a long time, but mostly just because I have spasms. Actually, will you push me onto it? Ready? Yes. And because the injuries to my my arms, my spasms work against me. So it's scary that there's on the back. It didn't come with a door, which is ridiculous, right? Yeah. It's gonna help me with the back of it. Yeah. And in the second, will when they were in the tenth grade, Missy Jenkins Smith and her best friend Kelly Hart Allsip's lives changed forever. It's kind of a struggle in the morning for me, and then when I feel like my body's ready to go. And that's when I finally get myself, start getting dressed. Um, I also have to cath, so I have to do that first. And then motivate in my head that I've got to get up and get into the chair. I don't really usually wear makeup <laughs> um, every day. They're some of the first survivors of what would become an American epidemic. Back in 1997, before Columbine, Newtown, Parkland, and Uvalde, what happened to Missy and other students at Heath High School was unthinkable. This is such a serious situation that, that changed my life forever and others that I love. The parole hearing and their decision is going to be another part of that struggle. Missy is speaking to the Kentucky Parole Board, who will soon decide whether the gunman, Michael Carneal, will become the first school shooter ever to be released on parole. Thank you for joining us today in the matter of Michael Carneal, inmate number 151127. Carneal's bullets killed Nicole Hadley, Jessica James, Casey Steger, an injured Missy, and four others. Today is our victim's hearing. I know that it has been difficult to uh, relive this experience. Michael sentenced me to life in a wheelchair I know you'll hear a lot of testimony today regarding what Michael did to us and our close-knit community. I could speak 
for hours about what my life has been like every minute of every day for the last quarter century without the use of my legs. On December the 1st, 1997, Michael Carnell shot and killed three of my friends and injured five. Waking up that morning, we were definitely in a hurry because we didn't feel like getting up. We are, of course, running a little bit behind. That's how Missy and I are. We both are about 10 minutes late everywhere we go. Uh, we were, I remember being in the bathroom, um, both fighting a, over the mirror and getting ready. It was a normal day. We just came back from Thanksgiving break, so we were excited and not <laughs> to go back to school after a longer break. The lobby was something, a central place in the morning. A lot of people were. Um, the office was in that area. The prayer circle met in that area. Everyone threw out prayer requests that they needed. We, uh, we all prayed and held hands. And we said amen. That's when a boy who's only 14 pulled a gun out of his backpack and started shooting at us. 911, what is your emergency? Uh, we have had, uh, I think, gunfire. This is Barbara McGinty. Okay, where's the, where's the shots fired? I heard what was, I thought, books dropping. The noise sounded like firecrackers. As I came to the door, I, I wasn't sure that it wasn't a firecracker or some other, you know, a balloon popping even, maybe. Someone just came up the stairs and said, someone has a gun. And my first thought is, oh, someone has a paintball gun. I'm sitting in my office, uh, and I hear, pow, pow. Shots fired in the lobby at the high school. It heats. Ma'am, is anyone injured? I think so. How many people are injured? Uh, at least 24. one. person injured? Yes. <laughs> okay. Two, crit two critically. Two, stay on the phone. 10-9. 21. Correct. Shots fired, Metropolis Lake Road at the high school. I got two subjects down inside the lobby. 10-4. One of my own students had a pistol in his hand, and kids were running, and he was shooting them, and they were falling. I turned, and I just stared at Michael, and I slow motion Again, in my brain, I see the gun and a white light around it. The feeling that I had of being shot, I remember it, like, it was just like as if you faint, you just kind of like fall down. And as I laid there, I was confused because I still did not see him with a gun. I crawled over to her and, and laid over top of her because I don't even know if I knew that she was hurt or not. I told her, it's a gun. And then she said, who is it? And I said, it's Michael, he has a gun. He was the last person that I would have ever thought that would do something like this. I, I, at that point, I, I noticed our friend Kelly was walking around and she was uh, holding the back of her arm. And I told Missy to stay strong, you know, don't die. I'll be right back. When I realized that um, I was actually shot, um, it was kind of a combination of when I saw Nicole and she was laying on the ground in blood and um, then I knew it was real. One of Nicole's friends turned around and she's like, I think Nicole was shot. And I had no idea what she was saying. And I just walked straight to Nicole and saw her laying on the floor there. 
my view cleared and I could see Michael. He was standing and he had a gun. And I thought, well, this is the kind of thing that's gonna me up for the rest of my life. That was the, my initial thought. Um, and then my second thought was, my brother's gonna kill me. I have to get out of here. I saw another of our students that was laying on the floor and um, thought I couldn't help her. So I went to another one of the students and stayed with her until the paramedics got there. It just took a split second to realize nobody's gonna stop this. If it's your, it's yours to try to stop. Everyone else was running and I was just moving slow, steady, forward. So it didn't panic him and all of a sudden he just looks at the pistol and just lays it down. And all he said was, I'm sorry. And I wasn't in a forgiving mood. All I said was shut up. And that was, all I said to him was, shut up, set down. Okay, we've got at least three down. Three down? Yes. You know where the weapon is? Yes, Mr. we've got it in the drawer. You've got the weapon? Yes, we do. Okay, who's, who's the perpetrator? Uh, uh, Michael Carneal. All right, they're on the way, okay? Please hurry. Three kids killed and five shot in a total of 12 seconds. I'd like to tell you that we saved some lives, but that wouldn't be true. We didn't, we didn't save anyone's life. We tried, but we didn't. The other major story today is in West Paducah, Kentucky. A school prayer service there ended in tragedy today. He took his, his gun and he was just like doing just like this with no expression on his face, just real blank. Not like he was mad, like he was happy, like he was, you know, just no expression whatsoever. Dad was on my answer machine going, hey kiddo, there's been an accident at the, sh at the school. Your sister was involved. All I got was, there's been a shooting at Heath High School. We know nothing. So about an hour or so passed and he called, dad called me again and he never told me how she died. All he kept saying over and over, he goes, Jackie, he said, parents should never have to bury their children. This is not the way things should work. It's not the way the life cycle is. I actually called the hospital and asked if they wanted me to come back to work because I was an ICU nurse and a pediatric nurse. I parked out front and kind of went a back way to the ER and a doctor that I knew really well stopped me and he said, Sabrina, I need to talk to you. And um, the third time he said it, it hit me because I'd heard that tone before. I knew what that tone was. And I looked at him and I said, is she dead? He said, yes. And all I remember was just arms just like trying to hold me back. One of the girls I worked with in, in ICU said, Sabrina, she looks bad. I remember telling her that, uh, of course she looks bad, she's dead. There were not enough seats at Paducah's Olivet Baptist Church last night. Mourners packed the sanctuary seeking answers and comfort from the day's awful events. These were, were actual students. These were beautiful teenage girls that are no longer with us. We don't want the world to forget about Nicole. She had a very tender, kind heart. Jessica was the baby. Um, definitely, if you ask the two of us, probably the most spoiled of the, the three, because um, she was the bookend. 
Um, at the same time, super sweet kid, always happy. Almost 25 years later, I'm still hearing stories of Casey's acts of kindness. She's just an amazing girl. I was lucky to be her mama. What my office wanted to do was to provide a public forum for people to come and be able to watch this as it happened. Michael Carneal pled guilty to the shootings and was sentenced to life in prison. But after 25 years, could walk free. The reason that Mr. Carneal is having a parole hearing at all is a particular nuance in Kentucky law. A juvenile, regardless of the crime, they have to be eligible for parole after they've served 25 years. There is some anxiety. People have called my office and they've been asking me questions. Mr. Carneal, you are currently serving a life sentence for a murder I've had 25 years to prepare for today, and it still doesn't seem like it's happening. So in regards to your mental health care, um, do you have a specific diagnosis? I don't really pay attention to the diagnosis as much because different doctors have said different things over the years. <laughs> the doesn't even know. Were voices telling you to do something on December the 1st, 1997? Yes, ma'am. And what did they tell you to do? Uh, pick up the, the gun out of the backpack and hold it in front of me and shoot. It was, it's not, there's no justification or excuse for what I did. I'm offering an explanation. So if we fast forward uh, from that day till today, are you still having, uh, hearing voices that tell you to do things? Yes, ma'am. Mr. Cornell, when was the last time that uh, you heard one of these voices that told you to do something harmful? A couple of days ago. Is there anything else that you wish to share with the board? Uh, I would like to say to you and to the victims and the victims, friends and families and the whole community that I'm sorry for what I did. I know it's not going to change anything. It's not going to make anything better, but I want them to know that I am sorry for what I did. Mr. Carnell, after deliberating, the board is unable to reach a unanimous decision at this time. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. It's not fair to us, and it's not fair to the community. Yeah. The families and victims who have been waiting for 25 years for resolution yeah, to this case now have to wait another week. Hi, it's Ashton Singh here with ABC News. 
Friday? I do. Can I please see it all the way up to the camera? You got it. Okay, far right door. Thank you so much. How you doing today? Sure thing. Starts with my ID. So Heath High School, where the shooting actually happened back in 1997, is no longer a high school. It was turned into a middle school, and all the other high schools in the area were consolidated into this one, and this is where all the students in the area attend. I'm gonna try and see if I got y'all's names right real quick, so correct me if I'm wrong. Jack, Timber, Carson, Mallory, Esley, Kate. That's not bad, right? How much do y'all know about the shooting that happened here? at Heath High School in 1997. My mom went to Heath. She had actually graduated, but she told me about it because, I mean, she knows people from Heath. I mean, tell me like a little bit, in the context of Paducah, how heavy does something like this hang over your guys' community? Does it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I know like personally some people that were in it and like they are scared to go like near school. I just felt like, a lot of people don't like talking about it. Like when you when you go to a teacher or something like that, most of them would like be like that Heath shooting. Like they would say it like so soft. Tell me about like the other security measures and the drills that you guys do at McCracken in order to make sure that you guys are are safe. We do lockdown drills every I don't actually know every how month. Yeah, every month. Every month. Yeah. But the good thing is every teacher has their door locked twenty four seven. Right. So yeah. It's pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. And you guys appreciate that. Yeah. 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 It's just like no matter how many safety measures are put in, it just feels like there's always like somehow a way that someone will find a way to hurt people. There's always a little a little fear factor yeah. walking into mm -hmm. school. It always sits on the back of your, like on the back of your mind yeah. all the time. What would you guys do if there was an active shooter in the school? We're taught three things. It's like run, hide, and fight. So your first is like run, but if you can't, you have to hide, and then your last is to fight if you can't get away. If you're actually in that situation, you don't have time to do a drill. You are fighting for your life. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I dream about it. I'm like, all of our drills are more based like we're in the classroom. If you're in the classroom, you get to the corner, you hide. But like, we never really go over like, what if you're in the hallway? I think the one that scares me the most is if I was in the bathroom. Yeah. yeah. Because there is like nowhere to hide. Yeah. You are trapped. Do you guys think about this a lot? Yeah. yeah. See, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a football player, so we kind of like, like <laughs> you get him up top, I get him up bottom, yeah. like you walk yeah. in, like we got. But in reality, it's like, like you don't know what, you're gonna what are you really going to do, right? I graduated in 2011, and I think I had to do one active shooter drill, and that was after the Virginia Tech shooting. And so I'm just like thinking about not just how prepared y'all are in like that situation, but like how alert you got. I mean, you're saying you, you dream about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like everyone, like, like, it's just like a normal thing. Yeah. Everybody's kind of had that school shooting nightmare. Yeah. Oh, this is you coming to the library. It is mind-boggling to me that we are 25 years later, and we haven't solved it at all. In fact, I think it's worse. Those drills, the lockdown drills, the environment in the school, it's, it's really personal to us, and it's hard to hear my kids come home and talk about like I would throw a stapler at the bad guy um, or 
they come home and they ask a lot of questions about my brother and about the shooting and what happened. Um, it's really normal to them, but also um, really their, their relation to, to it, I think, is a lot more real than, than other kids in their class. Many of the teachers at Heath High School, the day of the shooting, are still working in the classroom. And at least one student actually followed in their footsteps, becoming a teacher herself. They agreed to talk to us about that day, some of them for the first time. One of the reasons that I believe I wanted to become a teacher was that I didn't understand some of the things that happened to us on December 1st. And I thought if there was a way that I could reach children and help them, that that was what I wanted to do. I find that so interesting because so many people, when they experience what I know y'all experienced 25 years ago, they actively run away from that site of trauma. But you guys chose to remain teachers and you, get, you chose to become one. Mm -hmm. And I gotta I wonder why. I don't think crossed any of our minds to do anything else. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, what we were meant to do and meant to be there for those kids afterwards. We were babies ourselves. <laughs> you know, I turned 23 six days before that happened and my family wanted me to get out of teaching, but I wanted to be there for the students. Mm, you don't quit your family. And I mean, Heath was our family. I mean, we went back to school 24 hours after it happened. Mm -hmm. And when it happened, it wasn't even, um, it wasn't like what you would think it was. I mean, kids were not running down the hall screaming. It was very quiet. It was like a battle zone, basically. You come in and and you saw teachers jump into roles of being doctors, and then saw some teachers jump in roles of being pastors, and some people, you know, performing CPR on people that were lost. They were already gone. It's just good having you guys to talk about with. How did that day change you? Don't know if I could put it into words. It, you lost your innocence. I really don't like big group situations. I'm more worried now that I have my own children in the high school or in college sitting, settings now even. Balloons popping, books dropping, lockers slamming, stuff that is so normal to school. My, my startle reflex is awful, awful. Um, I refuse to sit with my back to the door. When you asked earlier about change and how, you know, how does this affect you, I do have something that I just think about and it, it, it does get me a little emotional. Um, but, you know, I make my bed every day. And this is my classroom, so you can see I'm a little, maybe not, I like things nice and neat and tidy, but, um, it didn't originate like that I just needed to make my bed every day. Uh, it, it is because I think it's a possibility that I don't come home. So I want it to look nice if, if my mom has to pick up and, and lose me. How are you guys feeling with a spotlight on the parole hearing? Anxiety. <laughs> Lots of anxiety. It's like ripping the Band-Aid off again and reliving, reliving, reliving 
every terrible emotion. So we got together and watched it so we could support each other because we didn't know what kind of feelings were going to come out. And I think I'm just angry. I hate to say it's just not fair. Can I ask you another question? In the event that he does get released on parole. <sighs> Let's not ask that question. <laughs> I think I got my answer. No, you cannot ask another question. <laughs>should have an answer today so we're on our way to missy's house to meet up with her mandy and kelly to find out how they're feeling regardless of the outcome in the matter of michael carneal doc number 151127 the board has duly deliberated mr brock in the initial hearing on september the 20th you entered a vote of a serve out is that still your Vote for today. Yes, it is. Miss Brown, how do you vote? Serve out. Miss Hardesty, how do you vote today? Serve out. Serve out. Serve out. Mr. Helvig, how do you vote? Serve out. After deliberating, Mr. Carnell, due to the seriousness of your crime, your crime involved a weapon, you had uh, lives taken, and the seriousness, again, um, it is the decision of the parole board today to allow you to serve out the remainder of your sentence. Thank you, sir. This concludes all matters pertaining to Michael Carneal. That's great. That's amazing. Should we cheer? I was. He gets life. We'll never have to do it again. Yeah, he cannot appeal it. So he has to take that verdict. I'm very grateful for it, but still very lost on how, how to feel and how to react to it. Just tears of relief. Um, I didn't sleep any last night. It wasn't the first night recently that I didn't sleep any. We have children and our children will never know her. Um, my oldest carries her name but never met her. Tomorrow she would be 40. Sorry. It still hurts. I've told people the best I can compare it to is like losing a leg or something. You learn to walk again, but it's never the same. These kids, the majority go, of them that are out there playing, I have before. Okay. It's fun to watch yeah, kids that you know. Right. And you know who's who? Like who's, who's wearing the numbers on Every now and then I have to check the roster. The community healing as a whole. I don't think it happened. It will always live inside us. We live. We thrive. But it never leaves.
There's just so much beauty around here. When you're in a place like this, you notice the rustling of the leaves, you notice the calmness of the water or the birds cry. The danger here is honestly just increased temperatures that provide an inability to do the same hobbies and recreations that people have. There are people with similar values who are more in conservative circles, like in northern Wisconsin, where they want to protect a lake. And there are people with more liberal values in Seattle, Washington, where they also want to protect a lake. And they have the same end goal, but they're not willing to get out of their partisan tribe to even have the conversation to understand that. In some ways, Benji Becker is a lot like most 24-year-olds. He's really worried about what climate change is doing to our planet. But Benji is also a conservative. Yeah, we got her when I was in high school. On a mission to make climate change a priority for the Republican Party. A lot of it's a hoax. It's a money-making industry. 80% of our energy comes from fossil fuels right now, and that's not going to change anytime soon because wind and solar are not reliable. Climate activists and environmental groups will cling to any extreme weather-related headline to support their case for global warming. But his is a party that has often denied that climate change is even real. Can you tell me, what does it mean to have a conservative stance on climate policy. It sounds, when you first hear it, like, hold on, explain that. Conservative stance on climate policy, please explain. We believe in nuclear energy. We believe in uh, American leadership because American economic growth is good for the world and if we can provide low-cost technology to other countries, that's a win. We believe in streamlining regulations that are unnecessary, that put us in a place where we can't help fight climate change. And the goal would be, in 2023, 2025, every year there's a new Congress or a new president that you aren't worried about climate inaction because of who's in power. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of who's gonna have to work more with the other side. We're not having a one-size-fits-all approach to the environment. And in a time when our generation is so disgruntled, we're going in there and we're saying, no, we have answers. My freshman year of college, I searched conservative environmental organization, nothing. Conservative climate organization, nothing. And that's when I realized I had to do it myself. That organization became the American Conservation Coalition. Its goal, building the conservative environmental movement. We are at the first ACC summit. We have just under 300 attendees, which is absolutely incredible for the first time that this is being held. I'm here because I am a conservative environmentalist and I think it's really important that we create that movement and make it like a valid movement. I think for a long time conservatives have not come to the table. It's the people in this room that will change the narrative. There are tens of billions of dollars being spent on the current way of thinking on the environment and it's not working. Benji's reputation and his enthusiasm attracting several high-profile Republicans like Texas Representative Dan Crenshaw. I think the Republican Party has come a long way on this, and Benji's that next generation of that. And former Transportation Secretary Elaine Chao, 
who just happens to be the wife of Kentucky Senator and Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. To conserve is probably the most conservative principle of all. And all Americans, regardless of their backgrounds or political stripes, want clean air, clean water, and a healthy planet for future generations. If Benji seems comfortable around politicians, it's because he is. He's been doing this for more than 10 years. His whole journey started in Wisconsin when he was just 12 years old, volunteering for his political hero, Scott Walker, and soon becoming a real conservative media darling. Benji Backer joins us live now from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Benji, welcome to the program. Even speaking at CPAC at age 16. I'm a product of the Wisconsin public school system, which is one of the best in the country. But it hasn't always been easy for a conservative thinker. So for conservative climate activists, they are the largest youth-led group in the country. They're really focusing on insider tactics, where they work directly to lobby and speak with elected officials to make sure their voices are heard and their perspective is heard. Dana Fisher has been studying climate activism for decades. This is all about what is effective, right? In terms of achieving their goals of getting more Republican electeds to be open to thinking about climate change, I think it's absolutely effective for that. If it's effective in terms of stopping climate change, no, it's not. The motion is adopted. Not a single Republican voted in favor of the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act, which was the one that included the largest piece of climate change legislation in congressional history. How do you reconcile as an environmentalist, the Republicans' relationship with fossil fuels. That's a big one. Yeah. When you hear drill, baby, drill, what do I, you feel? Both sides have been in bed with fossil fuels for a long time. Republicans maybe a little bit longer now that Democrats have started to cut that off. But we need to work with fossil fuel companies while we still have fossil fuels. But the UN and scientists around the world say, stop, stop as soon as you can. Well, they say, they say, start moving away from them as soon as you can, but we're not moving away from them tomorrow. We're gonna need solutions within the fossil fuel industry and outside the fossil fuel industry. There are a number of conservatives who now acknowledge that there is a climate crisis. They acknowledge that humans are causing it, but they don't necessarily agree about how to solve that problem. whole point about like standing up for coal communities is like if those jobs go away for whatever reason then it's it's pretty hard for them to survive so then they just live in poverty people have left them behind for a long time and of course they're going to be scared and of course they're going to be frustrated West Virginia may not seem like the likeliest place for a renewable energy conference, but seeking out unexpected partnerships is kind of Benji's deal. There is a huge rural and urban divide happening in this country right now, and I think it's to blame for the majority of our problems in society. Do you uh, feel there's a danger of creating a false equivalence between conservative and non-conservative reality versus facting, when in fact there are facts? Right. And there are new elements that don't lie. It is a problem. So on this issue, uh, yeah, there's, there's been more issues with that on the right than the left. That's why I'm a right-of-center climate activist trying to get conservatives to the table. Like, that's a blatant truth. But for other issues, it's the opposite way. 
the real star of this conference was this. Biochar. It's a new organic product, a type of charcoal used as fertilizer that helps capture carbon from the atmosphere. It's exactly the kind of technology that Benji sees as a solution to lowering greenhouse gas emissions. There's a lot of fear, and understandably. And they're not against this. Conservatives aren't against this. Rural people aren't against this. They're against things that take their lives away from them. Going to states like West Virginia is something that I really appreciate having the opportunity to do. We saw a conference that was based on sustainability and climate change and a new technology that's emerging. But we also saw what happens when it comes to trying to see behind the curtain of some of the, the traditional energy sources there. And I think we're in a time where, understandably, those communities feel threatened by this conversation. They're tough conversations for a guy with a really tough mission. Activism alone can't repair the damage already done to our planet, and Congress still can't agree on any of the solutions. I don't know why! But for Benji, back here in the nature that he loves so much, even a small step is one in the right direction. I want people to always remember that what we're doing is because of this. We're always caught in the middle because we're trying to fight for common sense solutions in the middle, and that ends up creating a lot of enemies and it also goes against the grain of what anyone thinks is possible. And so every day I'm met with tens if not hundreds of no's. But for every yes that comes from that and every meeting that I can get that can move the ball forward, that's what it's all about.